Amen. Would you just remain standing for just a moment? Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Good to see all of you today. We're beginning a brand new series entitled Experiencing God. And I can't wait to share this with you over the next two months together. And I just want to make mention when you leave today, uh, there's an invite at the door that you can grab. Some of you may have uh, received this on Christmas Eve, um, but it outlines the entire series, all the passages. So I want to encourage you to take that and to use it and read, um, or to take one today if you already have one and share it with someone else um, to be here. And just to say, um, I know the room is, is full, and I want to encourage you, if you're able, we do have an 815 service that has a few seats available, believe it or not. Um, if you'd like to come and be with me and my mom and one other person at 815, <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, we, had, we had our largest Christmas Eve ever, our church. We had a thousand more people here than we did last year for Christmas Eve, which is awesome that you're inviting people to come and to be at our church. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. People are hungry for the Lord, and it's a great thing. And I just want to encourage you, especially if New City is your home, um, to consider making space uh, for a neighbor, for a friend, to come and have a space here um, to find and follow Jesus. Uh, today we're beginning Experiencing God, and I want to begin with a foundational passage that we'll continue to come back to throughout the series. We're actually just going to listen in on a prayer that Jesus prayed for you. Uh, did you know Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you. In John chapter 17, he prayed for all of us. And these were a part of his words that he prayed. John chapter 17, verse three. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God the way to have eternal, full life is to know God, to experience him. And that's what we're gonna be talking about over the next eight weeks together. You can have a seat, thank you so much. Well, what does it mean, what does it mean to have eternal life? The prayer that Jesus is praying for you and for me in John chapter 17, verse three, what does it mean to have eternal life? Well, for some of us, when we come to church, or let me use a different word, maybe when you came into religion, if you grew up in a religious household, if you would consider yourself a religious household growing up, many of us oriented to God or oriented to religion by a list of regulations, or duties, things that we had to do, or maybe even information that we needed to know about God in order to be religious or to be considered good enough or religious enough, whatever your background might have been, many of us uh, came into an understanding of God through a, a religious orientation in that way of a list of rules or regulations or things we, we needed to know. Some of you grew up uh, very far from faith and you didn't grow up in a religious household. You're just returning or starting and trying to understand what it means to have a relationship with God and experience what Jesus prayed. And you might be interested to know what Jesus said about his purpose for coming because a lot of people have a lot of ideas about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And for many people, again, if they grew up in a religious background, for some people, they begin to orient towards Jesus by a list of rules or things they had to know about Jesus or information or things to follow. Here's what Jesus said was his 
purpose. There's a couple of times throughout the New Testament where Jesus gives his life mission or his purpose. And this is one of them. It's in the Gospel of John again. It's in John 10, uh, verse 10. And this is what Jesus says. First of all, he gives a purpose statement for the enemy. And believe it or not, the enemy has a purpose for your life. He's got a mission statement for you. And here it is. Jesus gives it. He says, the thief's purpose is to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the truth is that the enemy is having his way with many of you. Those of you watching online, he's accomplishing his purpose for many of you in his life. To still kill and destroy everything good in your life. Your friendships, your marriage, your relationship with your children, the purpose, meaning for life. He's here to rip all that apart. That's his purpose and meaning. And then Jesus gives his counter mission, his counter purpose. And you need to hear this. Jesus says, my purpose is what? To give them a rich and satisfying life. And I just want to allow that to seep in just for a minute as we begin a new year together. The first Sunday in 2024, that Jesus's purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, I know in a room this size, and for those of you watching online, that your orientation to Jesus may be different than this. And maybe you've never understood, you've never heard that Jesus came for you to have a rich and satisfying and full and fulfilling life. Let me say it another way. To be your true self as God made you to be in your uniqueness, your personality, your giftedness, and to be fully alive to who you are. That's why God came. And maybe as you begin a new year, you need to just hear this. Maybe this is a verse you need to write down somewhere and you need to continue to read and meditate on throughout the year that Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life. And you also need to know whether you believe in him or not, that you have an enemy that's at work in your life for the counter purpose, to still kill and destroy a rich and satisfying life. And oftentimes, religiosity or irreligiosity, both ways are, are the ways that, that the enemy works in our life to still kill and destroy all of God's good purposes to bring us a rich and a satisfying life. Now, how does Jesus go about bringing us a rich and satisfying life? If, if that is his purpose, which he says that it is, how, how does he do that? He answers the question to this in John chapter 17, verse 3, the verse we started with, our foundational passage for the entire series. Again, we're going to be going through experiencing God together. I hope you'll continue to come and be here for all eight weeks as we talk about the realities of how to experience more of God in our life. And Jesus answers the question in John 17, 3, his prayer of how he wants to give us a rich and satisfying life. And he answers the question by saying that they would know you, as he's praying to his father, that they would know the one true God. Now, in our Western way of understanding the word know, we understand the word know as informational, transactional, data points to know something would be to know information, to have an understanding of something. That's not the way that Jesus was praying. That's not his understanding of the word no. A Hebrew orientation or an Eastern orientation to the word no would be to experience, to relate. If I know you, I'm in relationship with you. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm sitting with you. I'm in conversation with you. 
to know someone was to fully experience them. So when Jesus says the way to have eternal life is to know you, the one true God, it's to experience God. So the way that God wants to give us, John 10, 10, a rich and satisfying life is to experience him, to know more of him. And, and, and that is our prayer for every single one of you in the room today, for those of you watching online, that through this series and beyond throughout this year, that you would know more of God, not just informationally. We're gonna learn a lot of things informationally together, but beyond just information or data that you know about God, that you would know God. Everyone watch this. There is a vast difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There are a lot of people that know a lot of things about God or they think they know a lot of things about God and they'll tell you all the things they know about God. And there are a lot of people that know God, that truly know him and experience him. Oftentimes through the disappointments, the difficulties, the depression of life, the valleys of life where you really begin to know that God truly is your shepherd and you experience God. This is what Jesus is saying, that you would know the one true God and by knowing and experiencing him, you would know life. Everyone listen to this. Christianity is not a list of rules or regulations or a dogma to understand. Christianity is a person to follow. It is not a dogma to understand. It is a person to follow, to experience, to be in relationship with. This is what God is inviting you into. And this is our prayer for each and every one of you. God, that you would work in each of my friends' lives, that you would meet them where they are, that you would meet them in particular today for some of you in the room that are going through deep, deep difficulty, valleys of the shadow of death, loss and grief and depression, that in that God would meet you as you begin a new year and you're experiencing some of the same old difficulties and trauma and difficult and, and depression and, and disease and diagnoses and divorce and different things that are happening in your life, that through all of that, more than just knowing more about God, that this year you would know God. That each of us together would pray the prayer that Paul prayed, that God would do immeasurably more than we could hope for or we could imagine according to his great power at work within us. And that is my prayer for each of you and for our church, that we would experience more of God together this year. And in experiencing him, we would experience a rich and satisfying life that he has for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We have uh, an end of an era that happened in our lives, in our family, just to get to know each other a little bit. Some of you know us, my wife, Jen, on the front row here. We've been married 22 years. We have three teenagers right now, so please pray for us and we'll pray for you. We have an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 14-year-old. And the end of the era that happened in our house several years ago was our last hide-and-go-seek player. Some of you are in that stage right now where you're playing hide-and-seek every single day. We don't play that anymore. Our house is a little bit sad. Uh, our last hide-and-seek player was Faith, our 14-year-old, and she was an epic hide-and-go-seek player. And this is how Faith would play. It was very unique. 
and it's, it's a way to maybe understand our passage today. She would come and she would say, Daddy, do you want to play hide and go seek? And the answer was always yes. And then she would say, here's Daddy, here's where I'm going to go hide. <laughs> and I want you to go count. And then when you finish counting, I want you to come here and find me. And I'm like, I, I think you're missing this, Faith, but fine, that's what we'll do. So she would go and hide, I would count, and I would go all around the house, where is Faith, where is Faith, where is Faith? And then I would come to where she told me she was, and I would find her, and she would say, great job, Daddy, you're so good at this. The truth is that Faith just loved being found. She loved being found. And the truth is that we do too. And the good news about the gospel of Jesus that's different from any other world religion, wherever perspective you're coming from today, is that Christianity differs from every other world religion or philosophy in that God came to find you first. What the Bible teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5, 8, when we were still running the other direction that he came towards us, that he came to find us first. And then if, if that wasn't good enough, friends, that then he tells us where to come and find him. So he finds us in our brokenness. We don't have to clean ourselves up or be perfect or follow all the rules for God to find us. God finds us where we are, meets us just as we are and loves us and then tells us where to find him because he invites us to participate to seek him, to look for him, to come and find him throughout our life, through the difficulties and darkness of our life, which many of you are experiencing, to come back and to find God and to find the rich and satisfying life that he's called us to. And the passage that I want to draw your attention to today with this teaching is from Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have it on your phone, I want to encourage you to, to open up there with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And while you're turning there in your Bibles, let me just give you a little bit of context of, of why we're starting with an Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah chapter 29. And what that has to do with this rich and satisfying life that Jesus offers in an experience with us. The context of Jeremiah chapter 29, and specifically verse 13 that we'll start with, is Jeremiah writing on behalf of God. So he's a, a prophet, by the way. You know, we use that word. But the word prophet means someone who would hear from God and speak to God's people. That's what a prophet was. They would hear from God and speak to God's people. Sometimes God would use the prophet's lives to actually embody the message. But oftentimes he would give them a word to write or to speak to his people on, on his behalf. And Jeremiah was a prophet. By the way, a priest is someone who would take the concerns or the sins or the things of the people and do the reverse. So a priest would take the things of the people and represent them to God. A prophet would hear from God and represent them to the people. Jeremiah was a prophet. And so his letter that's contained here in the Hebrew Testament, and specifically chapter 29, is a, is a chapter, a letter that he's writing to a group of people that are in exile. And in verse 13, just to set the stage and the foundation for this, he says these words. He says, you'll look for me or you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So as we think about hide and go seek, God is saying to the people, when you look for me, you're going to find me. And you're going to do so when you look for me with what? With your, with your whole heart 
heart. And so God is saying, I, I'm, I'm here and, and I want to be found by you. I want you to find uh, my will for your life. I, I, I want you to experience a rich and satisfying life that I have for you. I'm, I, I want you to come and to find me and to know me in relationship. And oftentimes, just to say, many of us, when we wrestle with this question, because the premise of the series is, you know, what is God's will for my life? And I know all of us are seeking at some level to understand more of what is God's will for our life and, and how do we live that out? And oftentimes, just to say, we're going to talk a lot about that. And I have a lot to say about that from the scriptures. But I want to say this, for many of us, when it comes to understanding God's will for our life, it's very much an informational transaction. And here's what I mean. And I'll just speak from my experience, and I don't know if any of you can relate to this. That I'll come to a moment or a crossroad in my life or a situation or an opportunity, and I'll want to know God's will. I truly want to know God's will in that particular moment. And in that particular situation or that particular relationship, should I call this person? Should I move here? Should I take this job? Should I not do this? You put it in the context of your life right now or whatever crossroads you might be at as we begin a new year together. And, and I want to know that narrow lane of God's will for my life. And it's, it's truly an informational transaction. It's as if I'm calling Jesus up from back here and saying, Jesus, come up here with me for a second. What should I do? Just tell me and then you can go back to the end of the line and I'll continue to lead my life. I'm speaking for myself. I don't know if there's anybody else here that could relate to me. I'm only talking about myself here, okay? And what God is always about, we're gonna see this in all the passages, including Jeremiah 29. What God is always about is inviting each of us into a deeper relationship and conversation together, to a journey together that's not an informational transaction, but is a relational conversation and journey to be with one another, always. Let me use an example, okay, in the context of relationship. And I'm just gonna pick on guys because I am one, all right? And I've made a lot of mistakes in this. With your significant other, if you were to say to them, guys, you wanna get something to eat? Now, many of you will say this today, I'm gonna try to save you from something that's gonna happen later on today, okay? You wanna get something to eat? Like, how does that sound? It's fine. Want to get something to eat? How does this sound? I'd love for you to have dinner with me. Would you? What is the difference between those two questions? One question is about food. You want to get something to eat? The other question is about the person. Do you want to be together? And oh, by the way, there'll be food there but I'm more interested in being with you. Would you like to be together? Guys, I'm trying to help you here. Would you like to be together with me? Yes, and there will be food there, but food is not the main thing. Even if you're focused on the food, that's not the main thing. Same is true with God. God, I, I want to be with you. I wanna be in relationship with you. And yes, out of that, I want to know more of your will for this situation, for this relationship, for this thing that's happening in my life. But if I go to God every single time in these transactional lanes for just this one little thing, I don't, I don't want to know about your will for my life and my finances and my sexuality. and you know, I, I don't want to know about any of that. I just want to know about this. That's all I want to hear from you. Then that's all we'll experience of God. And God has something so much more for us. So we get to Jeremiah 29, and this chapter is all about knowing and doing God's will, believe it or not. 
It's all about the question that we're asking. And a group of people that, you know, several thousand years ago were wrestling with the same questions that we're wrestling with. How do I know God? How do I do his will? And by the way, their context was living in exile. What does that mean? It means that they were living away from their home and it wasn't their choice. They were taken and they were living under the reign and rule of a madman named Nebuchadnezzar in a place called Babylon, which was like Vegas times a thousand. And they didn't, of course, want to be there. And it was in that context, and you think about your own context of desperation or frustration or feeling stuck in your relationship with other people or with God or wanting to be anywhere but where you are right now. And that's the exact place where God met them and where God begins in verse 13 by saying, you'll seek me and find me, right? When you seek for me with all of your, your heart. So the context of this wonderful passage about knowing and doing God's will is a group of people being in exile. And I just wanna say really, really quickly, because I think this is important, that there are a lot of temptations that we face in life in general, but there are a lot of temptations that we face, especially when we're living in exile. And whether you realize it or not, we're a people as followers of God that are in exile. You know, the Bible says this world is not our home, that we're foreigners in a foreign place, in a strange place, that we're not citizens of this world. And the unique temptations that the people of God were facing, the same temptations that we're facing as exiles. And I just want to mention this really, really quickly, and we'll come back to it later in the series. But they all have to do with forgetting. And so many times when we're in exile, when we're in a place we don't want to be, we're in a relationship that we don't want to be in, we're in a situation that we don't want to be in, all we can think about is getting out of said situation. And we forget that God might have a greater purpose and why he has us there. And I just want to say three things about this really quickly about temptations. And maybe this will, will hit you where you're at. In exile, the three temptations are to forget that we have a home. And when we forget that we have a home that God is making for us, a new city that he's making for us, that's what the scripture says, that he's going to prepare a place for us. When we forget that, then we make this place our home. And when we forget, it's always about lesser things. When we forget that we have a home, then we accept that this place is our home. And this is all there ever is. This is the reality of all there ever is. And this is, this is all, I, all I can see and experience and touch and feel is all there is. And God must have forgotten about me. And maybe you feel that way. The second temptation, you know, first one, we forget that we have him. We forget that we have a king. And when I forget that I have a king, in other words, that God is in charge and I'm not, that God is in control of his world, that he is a king and he has a kingdom and I'm a part of that. When I forget that I have a king, then I make myself king. And this is the ultimate temptation for all of us to make ourselves God. And when we're in exile, especially, and we're feeling the effects of that, it's easy to forget that we have a king that has a kingdom that we're a part of and we make ourselves king. Here's the last temptation. See if any of these might hit you or apply to you. We forget we have a mission. Let me say it another way. We forget that we have a purpose. We forget that God has a, a will or a purpose for our life. And when we, everyone watch this, when you forget that you have a mission, then you accept a smaller story in your life. You accept a smaller mission. 
And many of you are living a very, very insulated, small, small story because you've forgotten that God has a big mission in a big world that he's inviting you to be a part of. And it's something that is beyond what you could even imagine. That's what Paul says in his prayer in Ephesians. And many of us, because we forget that God has a mission for us as his people, we accept a very small story and we live in a very small story. And we think that our big problems that we have, they get bigger and bigger in our small story. And the smaller our story becomes, the bigger our problems become. And so the temptation of any exile for any of us is to forget that we have a home and this isn't it. To forget that we have a king and we're not it. And to forget that we have a mission and it's not the small story that many of us are living in. And this is exactly what was happening. This is exactly what was happening. And moreover, if you want to go further and read this on your own, and I hope you will, go read Jeremiah 28. Because in the chapter before this chapter, where we find more about knowing and doing God's will, there's a guy that shows up on the scene and his name is Hananiah. And Hananiah was a false prophet. In other words, he was selling a smaller story to the people of God. And here was his story, just really, really quickly. He tells the people, hey, we're in exile right now. We're in a place we don't want to be. You're living in a life you don't want to live. You're around people you don't want to be. You're working with people that you don't want to work with. You apply it to your situation. But here's the good news. It's all going to be over in two years. We're going to be out of this. So don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. Don't contemplate the deeper things in your life. Don't worry about what God's doing. Don't worry about his purposes and his will and his plan because all this is going to be over with. And here's the trouble. It was all a lie. It wasn't true. But guess who wanted to hear that? I do. When I'm in exile and I'm in pain, when I'm in disappointment and frustration, I want to hear a message like that. I forget that I have a home, that I have a king, that I have a mission. And so God has to come and correct that narrative. So the context of Jeremiah 29 is in part God responding to this man named Hananiah that was selling a small story. And some of you are believing that lie from an enemy that wants to, John 10, 10, still kill and destroy everything in your life, including God's rich and satisfying life that he has for you. And the way that that happens is to believe a really small story, to believe you're the king of your life and this is all there is in this temporal home. And God comes and resets all that. And he does that in a very specific way. And I'm gonna finish right here, okay? If I've lost you for some reason, please come back to me for this. Because this is so important about knowing and doing God's will in your life. I'm going to tell you three things about the sequence of Jeremiah 29. And I want you to write them down. And I want you to think about them this week. Because it has everything to do with knowing and doing God's will in your life. As God corrects this, this false small narrative that threatens to still kill and destroy the exile's belief in a home and a king and a mission. This is what God says. He begins with his purpose, Jeremiah 29, verse 7 for all people. So God's will for your life always begins with God's will for all of life. I'm going to say it again. God's will for your life always begins with God's will for all of life. Now, where am I getting this? In the context of our story in Jeremiah 29, again, as God is speaking to his people, just like he's speaking to us through the prophet Jeremiah today, he says, here's the deal, guys. It's not going to be over in two years. 
This is where you are. So plant gardens and build houses and give your children in marriage. In other words, you're gonna be there. And then he says these shocking words, Jeremiah 29 verse seven, seek the welfare of the city where I sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. The word welfare there is the Hebrew word shalom. It means a complete wholeness. It is a rich and satisfying life, John 10, 10. And this is the shocker, is that God says, as you seek that for other people around you, where I've sent you and planted you right where you are, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your friendships, then you will experience that yourself as you live in this bigger story and mission where I have put you. In other words, God's purpose for your life and his shalom in your life will be experienced as you share his shalom with other people in your life. You will never know God's will for your life apart from God's will for all of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And why would he ask less of us? So when I'm seeking to know and do God's will in my life, I have to begin with, God, what is your will for all of life? And I just want to say this. For, for, I'm going to just tell you for me, one of the prayers that I've prayed throughout my life that I don't think is a wrong prayer, but I think it's a lesser prayer, is, God, what is your will for my life? And the three words that fail me or are lesser than that are for my life. And again, oftentimes I want to narrow it down and begin with me and not begin with God and what God is doing and all life with you and your neighbors and your friends and our city and our country and our world, all these people that God made in his image and that he loves and that he died for and that he has a purpose for. So Jeremiah reorients all of us to say, no, the beginning of knowing and doing God's will, guys, is knowing his purpose for all people. And God sent you here to share his shalom. This is too good not to say. I'm out of time already. But this is too good not to say. The reason, coming out of Christmas, think about this. I'm inferencing this. But how did the wise men that came from Babylon from the east, how did they know about the prophecy of the Messiah? Hundreds of years later. Because the very people of Jeremiah 29... They told other people about the prophecy. They told them about Jesus. They told them they had a king. They told them there was a home beyond this place. They told them about the mission of God for all people. And they remembered it. And generations later, when they saw the star, they knew it was true because they were living in the purpose of God for all people. And God calls us to do the same. Here's the second part of the sequence. That God has a plan for his people. Now, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. And if you've got that verse highlighted, if you've got it on your refrigerator, if you've got a plaque of it, you should leave it. It's a wonderful verse. But I wanna just say this. We can't just begin with Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that you have for me. 
right? Their plans for good and for future, for, for a future and a hope and, and all these wonderful things. And we love that verse because, yes, you have all these things for me. And it's true. But I want to tell you this, that the word you in the Hebrew there, I know the plans I have for you, is plural. What does that mean? It's not just about me. It's about you. It's about you. It's about all of us. In other words, what, what Jeremiah is saying is, I know the plan. God is saying to all of his people, for all of you in the room and watching online who call Jesus your Lord, what Jeremiah is saying is, I have good plans for you. And what are the plans for a future and a hope? What is he saying? That there's a home, that I'm your king, that there's a mission. There's something bigger going on than what you can see. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is all about. And we should hold on to that. But we have to hold on to it in context that God has plans for his people, for all of us as his people. And guess what, guys? They're the same plans today that God wants to use his people, the church. That's what the church is. The church isn't a building. The church is a people. So God wants to use his people to share his plans with all people. God wants to use his people to share his plans with all people. He wants other people to know him and he wants to use us, his church, to do so. We are God's plan A. And you say, well, is there another plan? No, we're the plan. We're the church. God wants to use his people to share his plan with all people. So he has a future for us. He has a hope for us. He has a home for us but it's in the context of his purpose for all people. So as we think about knowing and doing God's will in our life, we start with his purpose for all people, that all people would have shalom with God through Jesus. And then we, we come to his plan for his people, for the church, for us collectively, not just individually, for all of us that God has a future and a hope, a new city that he's making in heaven for us, plans for us that are good to prosper us. Yes, wonderful things as, as our king and as one that wants us to live on mission in the context of his purposes. Here's the final part of the sequence. Is that God has promises for you. Yes, God has promises for you. The scriptures are full of promises, God's good promises and plans for you that we claim and we cling to and we, we hold on to, especially when we're in dark places and in valleys. And in verse 13, let's just finish where we began. God says that as you look for me, as you seek me, you're gonna find me. It's faith saying, I'm going right here. Come and find me. I'm not hiding from you. God wants to be found by you. And he says, you'll, you'll find me when you what? When you look for me with what? With all of your heart. When it's not a transactional information of, I don't want to know any other things about this God. I just want to know this one thing. That's not wholeheartedness. That's not integritous. God says, you're going to seek me and find me when you, when you give me your heart. That's what he's after for every single one of us this year. He's after our whole heart that we don't hold anything back. So many of us have rooms in our hearts that just have do not enter on it. You can come in any other space, God, but don't come in this space. And God's after our whole heart, every single one of us. And he says, you're gonna find me, you're gonna understand me, you're gonna experience a more rich and satisfying life as you seek me and you find me with all of your heart. Christianity is not a set of rules 
or a dogma or information to understand. Christianity is a person to journey with and to follow, to experience. That's what Jesus prayed. This is eternal life. This is a rich and satisfying life that every single one of us are after. All of us are after the good life. This is the good life. This is the rich and satisfying life that you're craving. It's not found anywhere else, but in an experience with the one true God. And knowing and doing God's will in your life, which is what this series is all about, begins with God's good purposes for all people, his plans for his people, and yes, his promises for you. So let's finish right here. Just a question. As we go throughout the series, and I wanna challenge you, by the way, to be here for this series, to take the invitation, to read along, to invite someone to come with you. And my challenge for you through the series is to think about this question. Is Jesus in front of you? Are you following Jesus? Are you seeking after him with all your heart? Or just be honest, is Jesus behind you? And are you calling Jesus up in moments like, I gotta make this deal, I gotta make this phone call, I gotta make this decision. Come on up here, Jesus. Give me a little bit of a word here. Give me a little something. Now go on back, Jesus. I got it from here. That's not what Jesus invites us to. He's always in front of us inviting us to know more of him in relationship, in experience. If Jesus is back here, we'll only know this much of him in moments, in segments. But Jesus wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. God is, everyone watch this, God is at work all around you. And as we're gonna see in this experience, uh, he's always inviting us and experiencing more of him. He's always inviting us to know his will and to participate and what he's already doing. So here's the question, bottom line. And this is as simple as it gets. My will, my way, Jesus back here, or God's will? Jesus in front of me, me following Jesus. Is it my way, is it God's will? God is inviting me to participate, to know more of him, and to follow after him.